I don't have a math background and I'm maybe I may not be the best, but I'm able to survive. Just give your best right on what you're trying to do and learn uh, as much as possible. So don't worry if you don't have any skill set. The skill set can be built along the line. You don't have to be really scared of that. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Artist of Data Science. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artist of Data Science and on Twitter at Artist of Data. I'll be sharing awesome tips and wisdom on data science as well as clips from the show. Join the free open mastermind Slack channel by going to bit.ly.com forward slash Artist of Data Science, where I'll keep you updated on bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for the community. I'm your host, Harpreet Sahota. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. Our guest today is a big fan of and contributor to all things data, cloud, and artificial intelligence. He has nearly two decades of applying his intense passion for building data-driven products for top financial customers. During this time, he's amassed experience building complex analytical pipelines, machine learning models for extremely complex business processes, petabyte-scale data lakes, and high-frequency, high-volume streaming analytics pipelines. He's a strong leader who effectively motivates, mentors, and directs others, and has served as a trusted advisor advisor to senior level executives from business and technology, helping them with complex transformations in the data and analytics space. You might recognize him from LinkedIn, where he posts about AI ops and ML ops, discussing elements of the whole data pipeline for building and deploying models in production. In his postings, he covers less discussed topics of data applications and tries to highlight what worked for him and what didn't. You might also recognize him from his YouTube channel, AI Engineering, where he shares his mind and knowledge working with real-world data applications. As a testament to how helpful his content is, in the first seven months of his YouTube channel launch, he has garnered over 9,000 subscribers and almost 100 20,000 views. He tries to cover the relatively less spoken about topics of data applications and tries to tie it in to how real world applications are deployed. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a well-known and highly respected data scientist and architect who's a business leader by title and hands-on practitioner by passion, Srivatsan Srinivasan. Srivatsan, my man, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, good introduction and nice introduction. Thank you. Awesome, man. So that's, let's talk a little bit about how you first heard of data science and what drew you to the field and maybe touch on some of the challenges you faced while breaking into the field. Sure. Like uh, for me, breaking into the field was kind of a gradual transition. So I have been in the data space from the beginning, not in the data science though. I've been working with data uh, from the starting of my career, except for the first one year where I was a Java application developer. I soon realized that Java application was not my forte. So I started focusing more on the backend side of it, writing SQLs and TL SQLs and also working as a part-time DBA. Uh, So data has always been in my DNA. And slowly I transitioned from the regular data stuff to uh, the ETL world of it, where the Informatica and data stage came into play, and then into uh, the big data space, right? So basically, 
uh, I was one of the initial adopter adopter of big data, the Hadoop and the NoSQL ecosystem. And over time, what happened when I was working with customers, uh, one thing that we saw in the big data space is I was working with typical advanced analytics and data mining uh, projects. And what we realized is uh, we had to deal with large data set and complex problem where typical advanced analytics fails. Uh, so that's where my entry into the data science, uh, the real data science world came into play with machine learning and all. I would say like I was not great in, great in that at that time. I was also learning uh, hand drawings, uh, ML course. Uh, so I was parallelly doing it. And we started on the project uh, trying to get some hypotheses and insights out of data. Uh, I would say we did not succeed uh, because I was also new. My team was new. Uh, but one good thing I had is the client was very supportive of it. We failed uh, at that time, but the failure was a good learning for us. So that project did not uh, go at that time, but eight months down the line, we re- we retook the project and delivered it after a year and a half. So, so that's how like uh, my uh, data science journey has been. And the last five years, I have been with uh, data science all along, doing pure machine learning and data engineering work. That's quite quite a journey that you've had, and you know you've been so generous with your knowledge and sharing your knowledge. Um, you know, creating some really well crafted content for LinkedIn and YouTube. And I'm wondering, what's the uh, inspiration behind that? Yeah. So uh, again, like two years before two years, I was not a LinkedIn user. Uh, I had a LinkedIn account for 16 years, but I never used it. Um, uh, so I used to get a lot of emails from college grads, uh, like how the real world industry work and how it is different from what they are learning. So, uh, over time I've been replying individually to them, uh, wherever possible and whenever I get time. But then I thought like when I was seeing the LinkedIn content, it was more about, uh, the buzzwords around, right? Like all the VGG, all, uh, conditional network, RNN. Um, nobody was covering the industry uh, tie-up with the academics. And that's where, like, rather than writing one-on-one, I started writing about ML engineering. That's how I started my LinkedIn post, talking about model deployment, data collection, how to basically operationalize your insights with the business process. Right? That's the key thing. Even if you develop the best model, unless you don't operationalize this, you're not going to get any outcome out of it. And that's how it started. And slowly, the same content transitioned into and YouTube channel. So I started creating videos. The first, very first video was the end-to-end ML, which is which talks about ML engineering. Yeah, definitely. I found your content very helpful and informative for me in my journey as well. Um, so I'm glad that you're kind of f- filling that space for that type of content. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, taking into consideration, you know, the, the journey you've had into data science, where do you see the field headed in the next two to five years? So when, when we talk about uh, where the field is headed, right, there are two aspects of it. Uh, the very the very first aspect is the research side of it, right? There's a lot going on the research world on advanced algorithms and everything. The, the key thing is like you have a lot of uh, the technology companies sitting over there like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. They have a lot of data at their disposal and they are trying to create like uh, pretty accurate systems on for complex jobs. So the complex job can be speech to text or uh, it can be OCR. It's typically not accessible to the industry, right? Industry does not, does not have that much data to train a translation model or a speech to text model, speech to text model. So what I see is the accuracy over time for these models will get better, but the insights will be democratized. So you will see this as cloud services running around and uh, accessible to the industry. That is one aspect of it. 
the second may be the model uh, explanation aspect of it. As we go into the complex model, we lose, lose the explanation capability of it. So there will be a lot of research that is going on. That is from the research side of it. But in the industry side of it, there are a lot of initiatives that are getting started, but more in POC stages. The adoption is not completely federated across enterprise, right? So what I see is more and more enterprise line of business will adopt more of these techniques. And then you, you can see like that fuels a new, uh, new wave of uh, adoption in the industry. So that's what I see like in two to five years is more like uh, more adoption and more more like uh, models getting more accessible to the end users, like complex models, like speech to text and uh, it's to that. But when you really use it in industry, you don't get that accurate models. So over time, it will become more accurate. Very, very interesting. In this vision of the future, what's going to separate the great data scientists from the ones that are just merely good? So if, if you really see, right, like uh, the, the, the difference is going to be how you adopt uh, your data science journey. When I say how you adopt your data science journey, we typically, we are, we are more focused on today algorithm and technology. The, the real focus should be on business outcome. It does not matter whether you use TensorFlow or PyTorch to solve a problem. It's about like how you are solving a problem and delivering a business outcome. Right, that should be the clean focus of it. I think more and more data scientists today are technology focused. They need to use technology to just solve a problem, right? So they should they should more focus on business outcome, and that's what like will really differentiate a good and best data scientist movie. Are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field? Well, then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field. That's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job. Check it out. dsdj.co forward slash artists. Definitely, man. 100% agree with that. You know, speaking of taking an understanding of, of the business outcomes and how the work you're doing is going to affect a business. What does it mean to be a good leader in data science? And how can an individual contributor embody the characteristics of a, of a good leader without necessarily having the title? So when we when you say good leader, right, uh, one thing is a good leader in data science and specific should be ready to embrace failure. Uh, the space that we are dealing with is highly experimental. Right, we, we 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 don't know until we get the data and do our hypothesis. Well, this particular uh, this particular problem it can be solved by a data science. So you should be ready to embrace failure in this highly experimental phase. And uh, the second thing is, once you uh, accept the failure, uh, you must be ready to move on. But what I see today is some of the leaders try to force fit a solution to machine learning and try to deploy it, which fails when it goes into uh, production. So I would say a good leader is basically understand what works, what does not work. The leadership title must not be uh, just like an existing title renamed into a data science leader. You should have real hands-on experience of solving problem. Maybe you need not be a real coder, but you should be able to understand what scenario data science work and what scenario does not work. So that, 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 should, that should be like a good leader characteristic. You know, speaking about kind of uh, productionalizing a model, what are some challenges that a, a, a notebook data scientist can face when it comes time to productionize a model? And do you have any tips for how to overcome those hurdles? 
productionizing models, I would say, is one of the real challenging activity, right? Like um, uh, now there are two aspects of it. One is you need to take your code and deploy it in production. Second is you have to integrate with your business process so that your business process can seamlessly action on it, seamlessly actions action on it. So one thing that I have seen is when we start writing a, a notebook-based data science, right? We typically uh, would not have modularized it. We typically write our code and then we go back and add features, correct it. And over time, our uh, day, our notebook itself becomes not so readable and interpretable, right? So I would say like start with uh, modularizing your code. See like value of common functions that you can use. A typical example is like. Uh, uh, you have the data collection aspect of it, data preparation aspect of it. See if, can, if, if it can go into and separate modules by itself. And what you're doing in your main notebook is just accessing those modules and using it. So when you take this notebook to a production, you basically have a pretty readable and reproducible code with all the dependent utility functions. I'll just call this as utility functions for data processing and your common feature engineering and others. Um, uh, the second thing that happens is when you take your code to production, typically uh, there is a different team that is involved in deploying production. It can be a software engineering team, depending on the need. And uh, by modelizing your code and making it more readable, the reproducibility uh, of deploying the code also increases. So the, the one of the things I see when I started itself, I used to put everything into a single notebook. And then I after the project is done, then I have to kind of uh, reframe it into a way that it can be deployed. So start doing it from at the beginning of the project. Yeah, it's really good advice. And one thing that I think a lot of freshers and a lot of people breaking into the space that they don't get the exposure to is what happens when a model is in production. Um, so what are some things that we should be keeping track of once we have deployed our model into production? The uh, I would say the fun really starts after the model goes into production. Uh, right, like because you have multiple aspect of it, you need to make sure your uh, technical SLAs are met. Right, like in some business process, you need to action as soon as the data comes in. Right, in some business process, it can wait. Like typically, if you are in a credit card industry and somebody swipes a credit card and you have a model to find whether it's fraud or not, you just have few seconds or few milliseconds to action on it. Right. So the very first thing we'll be monitoring is uh, whether your model consistently meets the required. Uh, business SLA, right? That is the first part. Second is whether there is a drift in your model. Like your model can get drifted as soon as it goes into production. Um, and the drift is the second part. The third part is whether your business KPIs are uh, being met and being monitored. So these are different things that we do when it goes into production. So let's talk about uh, this concept of drift, right? So we've got two ideas of drift here. We've got the, the concept drift idea and the, and the data drift idea. If you don't mind for our listeners, can you, do you mind talking about these two, um, starting with concept drift and maybe uh, some tips for, for quantifying, measuring, and, and tracking these? So, so if you see like uh, today what we are dealing with the pandemic outside, right, like COVID, and a lot of the models have already drifted in, in some of the industry. Uh, the forecasting models that were used in some kind of uh, retailers uh, like Macy's or some some specialized retailers, my, my, the forecasting model would have really uh, gone for a toss uh, because the sales are been coming down. 
So it's very important for anyone to monitor your both concept drift. The concept drift is basically your underlying business assumption changes. And the data drift is basically your data assumptions are changing. So you made some assumptions, but the data that is coming to you is changing. It can be because of an upstream mistake, or it can be because of uh, some changes that is made to the business process. Right. So any of this, the model is not going to perform as expected. And that's why it's very important to continuously keep monitoring for both your concept drift and data drift. There are a lot of statistical uh, techniques uh, that we typically use. Uh, a pretty common one is uh, population stability index, where we just rank order the model by uh, the scores, and then we compare it with the uh, comparing with the uh, distribution that was used to train the model. So what you do is, if, uh, you have the trained model. You have the data set that was, was trained on. You take a distribution out of it and then see in real world how the distribution looks like. So there are a lot of techniques like population stability index, case stats, histogram comparison, uh, even the Z-score and T-scores and everything. What's up, artists? Be sure to join the free Open Mastermind Slack community by going to bit.ly.com forward slash artists of data science. It's a great environment for us to talk all things data science, to learn together, to grow together. And I'll also keep you updated on the open bi-weekly office hours that I'll be hosting for our community. Check out the show on Instagram at the artists of data science. Follow us on Twitter at artists of data. Look forward to seeing you all there. So at my, at my current company, we use we use Azure a lot, and Azure's got this built-in uh, thing called Azure Data Drift. And for that, they use the Data Drift coefficient and and Wasserstein distance, and it's been very very useful for for tracking models in production. But that's very valuable advice, and I think what you've just touched on are things that most freshers are not aware of, but they need to be aware of. So it's given them some great research topics to go to go spend some time on. So so thank you for that. I was wondering if you had any uh, advice or insight for people that are breaking into the field and they see these job postings that these job postings, they, they look like they want the abilities of an entire team rolled up into one person and then they, they just become scared of applying. Do you have any tips or advice for them? Oh, yeah. I've seen some job posting where they really require a unicorn, right? They want people with NLP, computer vision, and the regular machine learning. Um, I would I would partly um, attribute to the maturity of the industry as well. Uh, the problem that is happening is a lot of industry are just experimenting, um, uh, experimenting AI and ML, and they exactly don't know what they want. So they want one person who can do everything. With, with maturity, it's going to get even, uh, it's going to get better and better. The so same thing happened when it started in big data. Right. If you see all the open source technologies will be listed for a job description in big data. But over time, uh, things have got better and the same is going to happen here as well. What I would say to people who are applying is uh, just uh, don't stop applying because of that. Uh, the reason is they are even even the uh, industry is not going to find someone with all the skills. Um, it's kind of like 0.1 or 0.2 percentage of people will have that skills. So start start focusing on the core skills and once you're ready with the core skills start applying uh, applying for the positions uh, at the end of the day they will choose the best out of the lot uh, and better you be the best rather than like for thinking like you need, need not apply because you don't have all the skill set posted in the job description Awesome advice. Thank you so much. Uh, so I think a lot of also up and coming data scientists, they tend to focus primarily on, on, on the hard skills and they think that it's 
those skills that are going to separate them from the rest of the crowd. What are some soft skills that candidates are missing that are really going to separate them from their competition? So for hard skills are pretty key, right? But apart from that, when you're really operationalizing your insights, you're, you're presenting it to someone who might not have uh, that, that, the, the, the kind of hard skills that you have. Right. So basically, you need to present in a way that uh, the end user or the business uh, understands. Right. You need to kind of tell a story out of your model. That is the key. Uh, that I, I feel like they maybe they should more focus on problem solving skills. Uh, rather than mapping technology to basically any project, right? It's not like, uh, okay, fraud can only be done with anomaly detection. Fraud can even be done with a regular supervised learning problem, right? So rather than attaching a technology, they should should more focus on how to solve a problem, how to kind of like take that and present it to a business uh, user, right? So the problem-solving skills and the presentation skills are key. And do you have any tips for a data scientist who might find themselves having to present to a non-technical audience or perhaps a room full of executives? Right. So when uh, the, the presentation skill is what I was talking about is pretty key because your output of the model goes to always a non-technical user and most of the time. Right. It's, it's the business who are consumers of the model and not the technology team in many cases. So make sure you tell you, you, you convert your model outcomes to stories and the stories need not be complex. It can even uh, talk about like uh, what are the features that are contributing uh, to this prediction and then show insight of the features on by bucketing the features in a simple way. And telling these are the personas you have, these are the segments you have that are contributing. More like converting your model output uh, scores to a story with, along with the features is pretty key. Awesome. Thank you very much. So I've got the last question before a lightning round. What's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? I would say like many are scared from, with uh, mathematics. They think like uh, math uh, background is very important for uh, data science. And I may be a little biased as well, because one thing is I don't have a math background and I'm maybe I may not be the best, but I'm able to survive. Just give your best right on what you're trying to do and learn uh, as much as possible. So don't worry if you don't have any skill set. The skill set can be built along the line. You don't have to be really scared of that. I think that's excellent advice, right? Like just because you didn't go to school to study math doesn't mean that you can't learn math on your own outside of school. Excellent, excellent advice. So let's jump into a real quick lightning round here. What's an academic topic outside of data science that you think every data scientist should spend some time researching on? I I would say uh, the business aspect of it is pretty key, right? So basically focus on an industry and try try to understand how the industry business process work. So if they are talking about finance, uh, try to understand how uh, how credit card users are onboarded, right? How frauds are detected. So there are a lot of research paper over there. Uh, I would say like focus on uh, more like understanding any industry that you like, uh, the business behind it. It's excellent advice. And I think one good way to do that is by reading case studies, right? So if you're interested in a particular industry, then then read but case there, studies. There are pretty good research papers. Like there's a Google Scholars website. You can go and search for research papers and you get plenty of information or connect with the industry leaders, right? Uh, just, just send them a LinkedIn note or invite uh, and ask them like uh, maybe a 10 minutes time or 15 minutes time to quickly get it. So what's your favorite question to ask during an interview? I typically focus on the resume. So I would say like, uh, if you take their project, why did you choose this approach? And if you have to redo it today, 
uh, will you go with the same approach or you have a better alternative? It's actually the exact same question I asked as well during an interview. So what's the, uh, what's the strangest question that you've been asked during an interview? So it was at the beginning of my career, so it's quite long. I was kind of interviewing for uh, an hardware, computer hardware edition and uh, division. And he asked me, like, how would you sell this pen? And it's a very common question today. But frankly, that was, uh, I, I can answer any technical question. So that was kind of uh, not my put, I would say. Uh, what's the number one book you'd recommend our audience to read and your most impactful takeaway from it? So related to data science, I would say like I like the Naked Statistics book. It's an it's an amazing book. The reason is uh, the way Naked the way uh, statistics is today taught is people take some artificial X and Y uh, data and then they try to uh, teach it. Uh, this book teaches teaches us as a story, right? It tells a story where you can learn a lot of good information and something like you will maybe using in real life, but you don't realize uh, that you are uh, telling a statistical measure over there. So that's an amazing book, I would say. Yeah, definitely good recommendation for, you know, this isn't, uh, this is audio only podcast, but for those who didn't see, like, as soon as you said that, like literally that book was on my desk right here. So I pulled it out and <laughs> good recommendation. Yeah, I, I enjoy that book a lot. If you could somehow get a magic telephone that allowed you to contact 20-year-old Sri Watson, what would you say to him? I would say don't delay building your brand. It took me a lot of time to really come into the social side of it and um, a kind of uh, telling who Sri Watson is. Maybe I'm still uh, in the starting place, but start building your brand sooner so that people know people know like what your uh, skill sets are, what your capability is, try interacting and be more active in the uh, network. That will earn you more bonus points than going to an interview. Off of your interview is done if people know you. What's the best advice you have ever received? So I see the, the major thing is time management, right? Uh, so uh, we always say we don't have time. So basically uh, time is how uh, you kind of uh, position yourself in. How could people connect with you? Where could they find you? Yeah, so uh, the best thing is um, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, so the LinkedIn messages are pretty much I'm accessible through that and they can contact me. Um, uh, like if there's any technical question, I would prefer to go into YouTube with the respective videos rather. Uh, if not, like they can still contact me on LinkedIn. Sri, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being here and taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today. Uh, thank you very much. 